uh, is the fact that if there is a God, why is it that there's no agreement about this God? Why is it that there are so many competing theologies? Why is it that no two believers can agree about this God? Paul in the Bible wrote very clearly, God is not the author of confusion. Yet never has a single book caused more confusion than the Bible. Isn't that true? Look at all these competing denominations and they can each show to you ours is the true one and the others are all wrong. They can all prove it to you biblically. They have the proper concept of God. If there's a God and he wants us to know about him, then why is it so confusing? What do you think is more natural, given this un undoubtable confusion, that there really exists this all-powerful deity who cares about us and wants his creatures to know who he is, or that the God concept is the natural product of diverse human fears, wants, needs, and cultures? Another evidence that uh, there is no moral lawgiver in the world uh, and that there are no moral absolutes, in fact, it's a little bit of rebuttal to what you brought up, is the fact that if there are absolute moral values, then why is it that no one knows who they are, what they are? No one knows what these values are. Take any crucial social moral issue of the day, you name it, you will find devout, God-fearing, Bible-believing, sincere praying Christians come down on both sides of those issues. Take the death penalty. Am I right? Take abortion rights. Take gay rights. Take uh, doctor-assisted suicide. Good, strong, praying Christians fall down on different sides of those issues. Take euthanasia. Take women's rights or birth control or war versus pacifism. Take corporal punishment of your children or environmental protection. Gun control. Right? You name the issue, you will find believers falling on different sides. So where are these absolute moral values? Where are they? If, if there's a God who cares enough to communicate to us that there are absolute moral values, why did he do such a sloppy job of it? Why didn't he tell us? That is an evidence that he does not exist. I think one of the easiest ways to show that God does not exist, just walk into any children's hospital. Look at the kids in the children's hospital. Innocent children, suffering, hurting, through no fault of their own, parents desperate for this health and safety of their children. Parents praying desperately to their God, whatever their God is, and many of these children dying and continuing in pain. If there is an all-powerful, all-caring God who exists, why doesn't he do something about that? Suppose, suppose you had known what was in the mind of Timothy McVeigh on that morning that he drove down to Oklahoma City. Timothy McVeigh was not an atheist, by the way. He was a member of a Catholic church. Boy, can you imagine what the media would have done with that? If Timothy McVeigh had been an atheist, you would have, the pulpits of America would have been saying, see, look at atheism leads to such immorality and disregard for life. But he was a believer, a believer in God. What if you had known what was in his mind? What if you had seen that truckload of explosives? What if you had seen those children going into the daycare that morning? What if you had seen the parents of most of those children praying for God's protection in their lives? And what if you could have reached out with no risk to yourself and stopped that detonation from happening? Would you have done it? I would have. Would you? Would you, Phil? Would you have stopped it? Oh, yeah, I would have. Yeah, okay. Well, you're nicer than God. <laughs> Not a smart thing. Because God supposedly knew all this God supposedly answered the prayers of those parents. 
God supposedly cares about human values and human suffering. He could have stopped that detonation with no risk to himself, but he did nothing. In my book, that counts as something of an accomplice. I don't know if legally he's an accomplice, but at least morally, he would be something of an accomplice. That is one evidence. The existence of evil in the world is one of the strong evidences that a God does not exist, or at least a good God. Maybe there's a God exists and he's just a big pain in the butt. I mean, maybe he's, maybe he's an evil God. Maybe he gets his kicks out of toying with us. Uh, we atheists hear it all the time. What if you're wrong? What if you, what if you die and you're going to end up going to hell, you know? Have you ever thought about it? It's like we've never thought about this before. What if you're wrong? Oh, my goodness. Um, but you can play the same game. What if, what if you believers are wrong? What if there really is a God but he's only going to reward those people who have enough courage not to believe in him. Huh? What if that's true? And what if you're wrong? You, and, and we atheists would be very surprised someday, wouldn't we? But, you know, you can play this game of what if you're wrong and all this evil and that, but in hell, what a horrible concept. Any ideology, any system of thought that is based on violence and intimidation is a morally bankrupt system. The Christian system, the traditional theistic system, is based on intimidation, threats, violence, eternal torment, punishment, you better be good or else. That's morally bankrupt. We moral individuals have an obligation to reject such nonsense and embrace kindness and reason. Here's another reason why I reject the uh, existence of a God, because the way gods are defined, the way the traditional Western God is defined, he has characteristics which are mutually incompatible. For example, he's supposedly perfect, yet he created a world. He created a world, why? Because he wanted to. Can a perfect being have wants and needs? Can a, to have a want and a need is to lack something. So apparently God wasn't perfect, or he wouldn't have needed to create something else. Uh, some incompatible properties of God include his personhood. Uh, I'm going to skip a lot of this. There's about 13 of these incoherency arguments when you try to put this characteristic of God with this one. But let me move on to one that I call the free will argument for the non-existence of God, or for short, F-A-N-G, Fang. goes like this. God is defined as a personal being. The traditional Western God is a personal being who knows everything. A personal being, like you and me, are beings that are capable of making decisions. We can make choices. If you can't make a choice, if you don't have at least the potential of making a choice, you're not really a personal being. You might be a robot or something, but free will it requires having at least, one, at least two options, more than one option, each of which is avoidable. And in order to have free will, you have to be able to affect your decision during a state of uncertainty and a potential, a, a period of potential. I might choose coffee, I might choose tea. Maybe I think I know, but if I have free will, I have a potential of changing my mind before I get there, right? That makes the, that's what makes us, one of the things that makes us personal. But if you know everything, if you're a God and you know everything, you know everything about the past, the present, and the future, including all your future choices. If you're a God who's omniscient, you know what you're going to do tomorrow at 12 noon. Therefore, when tomorrow at 12 noon comes, you don't have a choice. If you change your mind anyway, you weren't omniscient, right? So how can an omniscient being have free will and be a personal being. It can't be. For God, there is no period of potential. 
for a God who knows everything, he is stuck. He's a slave. He's more deterministic than any robot because he knows the future. The future is fixed. The future can't be changed. Therefore, he's just going through the motions, isn't he? And I would not call that a personal being. Therefore, a being who knows everything does not have free will. So if God is defined as a personal being who knows everything, he can't exist. That thing is is an oxymoron. It can't exist. And if it can't exist, then it doesn't exist. Some other ones, God is supposedly all just, and yet God is supposedly all merciful. What is justice? To be all just means you're always dispensing punishment that matches the severity of the crime exactly, right? That's what justice is. You don't, you don't send a kid to life imprisonment for stealing cookies, right? Justice requires matching this crime with the severity of the punishment. But mercy means that you are dispensing punishment with less severity than is deserved. So if God is all just, he can't be all merciful. And if he's all merciful, he can't be all just. Omniscience and omnipotence. Um, if God knows everything, that means that he knows every one of his thoughts and he knows all of his thoughts that he's ever known. In fact, he knows every thought that he's thinking and he knows that he's thinking every thought that he's thinking. Uh, logically, he gets into to an infinite regret. If, if God's eternal, how can he possibly have known every eternal thought that he's ever had? It would take him an eternity to remember an eternity. Besides that, he spent all this time just remembering to eternity and not doing anything. Besides that, if God knows everything, how does God know that there are not some things that he doesn't know? How, how would an omniscient being know that that's it? Maybe there's some things he doesn't. How could somebody, anyone possibly know everything? Now, Phil talked about cosmology and shot himself in the foot. I think some of you noticed it. Phil quote, here's one of his quotes exactly. Existent things can only be finitely small. You said that, right? But then I... Uh... Well, I'm just, uh, you said that, right? Existent things can only be finitely small. Is God an existent thing? According to you, God is an existent thing. And yet, according to your reasoning, existent things can only be finitely small. If something has no space dimension, then it does not exist, you said. But God is not made of matter or space or time. Apparently, according to you, God is something outside of space and time. So according to you, since God has no spatial dimension, He does not exist. You said actual infinite sets cannot exist outside the mind. Well, is the mind of God infinite? Is the mind of God an actually infinite set? Or is it just a theoretical conceptual set? I think your argument is proving, if it proves anything, it's proving that God is a concept. Because you said that actual infinite sets only exist within the mind. So if God is actually infinite, He exists only in the mind. And you're, you're basically proving what we atheists have always been saying. God is a concept in the mind. You said nothing comes from nothing. Uh, a very popular phrase, but a very suspicious phrase. Uh, if nothing comes from nothing, let me ask you, is God not nothing? Is God something? If something has to come from something, God is something, and you're still not off the hook there. Besides that, you didn't define the word nothing. What do you mean by nothing? Uh, some people often ask me, if nothing, can something come from nothing? And you can answer yes. And Phil gave a good example of that. If you define nothing as a vacuum, I don't know how else we would define it. Maybe there's other definitions. But if you define nothing as a vacuum, then yes, 
something does come. Matter does spontaneously pop into existence in a vacuum according to quantum fluctuations and usually annihilates itself again. So if that's your definition of nothing, then yes, something can come from nothing. If you have a different definition of nothing, then please give it to us tonight because otherwise it's an incoherent statement. Besides that, you refer to the laws of thermodynamics and uh, you use the second law of thermodynamics a lot and you assume that it applies to the universe. Well, what about the first law? The first law of thermodynamics uh, states very clearly that the amount of matter and energy in the universe is fixed. It's the law of conservation. You, you can't add to it or take from it. Therefore, it would be more accurate to say that nothing comes from something. That makes a lot more sense. If you have something, you can't have something more. It's, it's conservation. One minute. So nothing comes from something. It would be a more accurate statement here. There are many ways for something to exist, right? Can you think, we can all think of a, billions of ways for something to exist. How many ways are there for nothing to exist? Only one. So what's more likely? Why do we assume that reality, if left unperturbed, would degenerate into nothingness? What is this power that nothing has? Why don't we assume that something is the power, that something exists? Um, and in fact, something does exist. And if something comes from something else, then God being something has to come from something else. Uh, I will continue uh, with more rebuttals of uh, Phil's arguments later. As, as we're trying to rush through a quick debate tonight, and we're looking forward to questions from, from all of you. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Dan Barker. Just let me a quick, quick note. The people standing by the door, if you would like to sit on the floor down here, please come in. Please come on in. We want to try to keep the doorway clear. Uh, we're now going to have rebuttal. Um, Fernandes will offer a 10-minute rebuttal, and then Dan Barker. Okay, basically I argued uh, for the evidence, scientific and philosophical evidence for the beginning of the universe, that that shows that the universe needs a cause, and uh, the cause of the universe must be non-spatial, immaterial, non-temporal, and extremely powerful. Um, if you believe nothing caused the universe, then I guess you would have uh, an all-powerful nothing. Um, there's several things that I need to touch on here. Uh, when he stated that, uh, I said that everything must be infinitely small, I threw in something that was not in the text of my statement because I realized what he realized. And I basically stated, I'm talking about the physical universe, physical things, okay? When we examine physical things in nature, okay, uh, then we see that something cannot get infinitely small, okay? Um, and so basically, I, I, don't, I don't see any problem with that particular point. Now, he rejects absolute moral values. He means ultimately there is no distinction between right and wrong, yet he rejects Christianity as being immoral. Sounds like he's borrowing some capital from the Christian worldview. Uh, he says there's no good evidence for God's existence. It's a God of the gaps, a gap in uh, human understanding. Now, I think a strong case for God's existence can be made and has been made based upon what we do know, not based upon what we do not know, as in the cases of Zeus and, and, and Thor. We do know the Big Bang. We do know the second law of thermodynamics. We do know infinite set theory. We do know intelligent design and that moral absolutes are real, at least when we're wronged. And uh, 
and things of that sort. So I think that it's based upon, it's, it, my arguments are not based upon an epistemological gap, a gap in knowledge, but a metaphysical real gap, a gap between nothing and the entire universe. If rabbits can't pop into existence totally out of nothing without a cause, then what makes anybody think that the entire universe popped into existence by nothing totally without a cause? Um, you know, and, and atheists don't like to admit their own gaps, uh, but they either have to hold to an eternal universe without any evidence for it, uh, or they have to believe the universe popped into existence out of nothing totally without a cause, yet no one's ever proven that that could, it could take place, as absurd as it is. Uh, life from non-life, spontaneous generation, it violates the, the law of biogenesis and the cell theory. Uh, multi-celled animals with single-celled animals. All these things are evolutionary assumptions, okay? Uh, the evolution from fish, uh, from the, 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 the gills of fish, uh, the, inter, the transitional form would not even be able to breathe, okay? Um, the uh, evolution between uh, uh, reptiles and birds, totally different types of lungs. And lungs don't work unless they're fully developed. So you have, you know, imaginary transitional forms that don't really exist. But everywhere there's a gap in evolution, uh, evolutionists just side with what I would call chance of the gaps. They just cling to this belief that their evolution is true. And, and, and basically, I, I think it's a bias. I mean, I think we saw Dan's bias. He argued that, he said that we could only know, basically said that we could only know the theistic God exists if we knew that God, the theistic God exists, science would come to an end. Who says? Modern science was founded by theists. Because they believe that a reasonable God created the universe in a reasonable way and man in his image as a rational being so that through reason man could find out about the universe in which we live. That's how science got jump-started. That's not how it comes to an end. Uh, unless, of course, you a priori assume that science can only look for natural causes. It can never look, it can never accept a supernatural cause. But when the Big Bang shows that time, space, matter had a beginning, when all of nature needs a cause, the only option we have, the only two options we have are either nothing or the supernatural. Because if all of nature needs a cause, that's all she wrote. Um, he says that theism is non-falsifiable. I think he's appealing to Anthony Flew's invisible gardener's falsification principle. Um, if the falsification is through the five senses, then we're right back to A.J. Ayer's uh, verification principle. That something is only meaningful if it's proven by the five senses or true by definition. Well, the verification principle itself. It's not, can't be verified by the, through the five senses, and it's not true by definition, so it refutes itself. Um, but whatever the case, I believe there's strong evidence for God's existence. I provided that evidence in my opening statement, and uh, so I think theism is, in principle, falsifiable. Refute my arguments. Deal with my arguments, okay? Um, his his uh, free will argument uh, uh, against God. Modal logic deals with possible worlds. We're not talking about the multiple universes that some scientists are speculating about. It deals with possible worlds uh, in, in the realm of reason and all, and impossible, necessary, and contingent beings. 
But a clear distinction is drawn between what must be done and what will be done, what someone wills to do. It is no contradiction to say that God eternally and infallibly foreknows future human free choices. If we, we're free to choose differently, but if we choose differently, God's foreknowledge would have been different. And God, by the way, just because God can't do evil, that doesn't mean that God is not free. He was free to create or to not create, and he chose to create. He was free to redeem or to not redeem, and he chose to redeem. Um, evil and uh, human suffering, uh, uh, he pointed out, talked about going to children's hospitals, and many pastors like myself do go to hospitals and visit the, the, the sick and, and, and offer them uh, comfort. Uh, but most contemporary philosophers, even atheists, have admitted that God and evil are not, an all-powerful, all-good God and evil, are not mutually exclusive. You see, Mr. Barker wrongly equates our failure to know why God allowed innocent human suffering. He equates that with God not having any good reasons for allowing innocent human suffering. Now, he offers no evidence for this bold claim, okay? Um... You know, and, and he talks about tragedies. Yes, I believe those are tragedies. Yes, I would have stopped the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, he said I was nicer than God. I'll tell you one thing, I am not. I am not as knowledgeable as God. Mr. Barker would like us to believe that basically uh, he is so wise that he is able to comprehend all the possible reasons why an infinite God might allow evil and human suffering and he has judged them all as inadequate. So thank you, Mr. Barker, for having that infinite wisdom to be able to know what an infinite being, if he existed, would know to be able to rule out every possibility that would be open to an infinite being. Um, you know, I think there's a problem of evil for atheists. Because there's no way to call the world unjust unless one admits to a standard of justice outside and above the world. Anytime he calls, you know, he likes to talk about, you know, Timothy McVeigh and and things of that sort. Uh, the fact of the matter is, no God, no moral values, and, and, and no moral absolutes. Friedrich Nietzsche, that was his view. He was an atheist. Bertrand Russell, outside human desires, uh, there are no moral values. Uh, A.J. Ayers, uh, when we express moral values, all we're talking about is our emotions, our feelings. It's not based in truth. Um, uh, I think clearly we do know the problem of evil, I think, is it's more than rational. It is an existential problem. So we need a real solution. Okay? And I see no real solution to the problem of evil uh, apart from the existence uh, of the God of the Bible and redemption through Jesus Christ. I am a Christian theist. Uh, but I believe that God gave man free will. We abuse this freedom. Uh, God allowed the consequences of those bad choices to set in, and so uh, bad things happen. Horrible things happen. And I no, I don't know why God allows every single case uh, of evil and, and human, innocent human suffering. But one thing I can tell you, atheists have no basis within their worldview to call anything evil in any absolute sense. The fact that theists can call that the Holocaust absolutely evil makes theism more plausible uh, than atheism. Um, he talked about the, the first law uh, of thermodynamics. Oh, the first the scientists can't say nothing could ever be created. They're saying nothing is now being created or destroyed. 
No energy is presently being created or destroyed. That's all it says, probably, uh, understood probably. It says God can't be all just and all merciful. Yes, God can remain all just, but he cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. And the Christian theist sees the Lord Jesus as paying the price in full. He says Christians and other uh, theists don't agree on moral values. That's not the point. The fact that we agree that there are moral values, there are moral absolutes, but that entails the existence of an absolute moral law giver. Philosophers call it the composite fallacy. Uh, he says that if you look at the universe, you see that every event had a cause, therefore the universe had a cause. It doesn't work that way. You can't take an observation obtained from one level within a set and then apply that finding to the set as a whole, jumping up a logical sphere. In the same debate, Bertrand Russell pointed that out in 1948. For example, just because every member of an orchestra plays in harmony with every other member of that orchestra, does that mean that that orchestra plays in harmony with every other orchestra? That's, that's senseless to talk about. Uh, let's use your example. Just because every member of the set of even numbers is separated from its immediate neighbor by a distance of two, absolute two, does that mean that the set of whole numbers is separated from other sets by a distance of two? That's, that's, that's silly. I mean, it's a, it's a non-question. And yet, that's exactly what you are doing. The universe is the set of all things, everything that exists. And you are taking observations within that set and trying to apply them to the set as a whole. You're trying to take the laws of thermodynamics, which are obtained within the set, and then trying to say, well, the set itself must also apply, like your uh, rebuttal of the uh, oscillating universe, as assuming that the laws of thermodynamics must obtain between sets rather than within a set. But that can backfire on you. For example, uh, every event within the natural universe had a cause that is natural. Are you therefore going to say that uh, the universe had a cause that is natural? Are you going to apply that finding to the universe? You don't. You're not consistent. You assume that the cause of the universe is supernatural. The principle of causality uh, requires natural causes. That's what causality means. And for you to pretend like there's some kind of a transcendent or supernatural cause, is completely irrelevant. You're jumping up to the wrong logical sphere. The universe is not a thing. To treat the universe like it's some kind of an object, uh, the, set, the universe is a set of all things, yet you act like the universe is a member of its own set. You can't do that. And according to set theory, uh, a set can be a subset of itself, but a set is never a member of itself. A set can be a member of other sets, but the universe is not a member of itself. So there's a fallacy in your thinking there when you're trying to apply findings within the universe to the universe as a whole. Therefore, no matter what happens when the universe, in anything that had a beginning within the universe, it makes no sense to say that the universe itself, even if it did have a beginning of sorts, uh, must follow the same kind of rules of, of causality as the objects within it. Now this talk about the uh, fine-tuning of the initial constants. Uh, the, if, if the constants have been slightly different here or there, you hear this a lot. Uh, these design arguments sort of remind me of the person who says, how do you explain the fact? It's amazing. Look at all these rivers that were made to flow right along the state borders. <laughs> 
how did they do it? What, a, what an amazing feat of engineering that must have been. And then, and then when they veer off, they head right for the major cities. How did they make that happen? It, it's thinking backwards. Um, here's a good example. Suppose you're, uh, suppose you're on death row and you're going to be executed. They put a blindfold over you, they tie you up to the stake, and they say, we're going to execute you today, and we have 100 expert riflemen up there, and they've never missed so far. They'll be doing the execution. So you hear, ready, aim, fire, and you hear the shots, but nothing. You're still there. You're still breathing. I would say that's a pretty amazing... I think Phil would mischaracterize us atheists as saying, well, it was just chance. It was my lucky day, right? None of us would say that. If that happened to me, I wouldn't say, boy, that was just luck, blind chance. Boy, I sure got out of that one. That, that would cry out for an explanation, wouldn't it? You would want to know what happened, you know? Was there a conspiracy, maybe? Did they all misfire on purpose? You would want to know what happened. Well, then you take your blindfold off, and then you learn there's 101 prisoners. There you go. Uh, you know, you couldn't predict that you would be the one that would survive, but there's an, there's an, if there's 101 prisoners and 100 riflemen, well, then somebody's going to survive. It might not have been you. Or like that woman on Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire. <laughs> she was hoping not to be chosen, you know, but she got picked anyway. She was the unlucky one. Uh, and so many, many cosmologists seriously entertain the possibility of multiple universes. And you know that's true. Uh, you can't prove such a thing, but I submit that your own argument implies such a thing. Because how can you compute the likelihood of any of the constants? You talk about these constants being what they are, and what if they had been different, there'd be no life. First of all, how do you know they could have been different from what they are? And then by how much? By how much could they have been different? And then how in the world do you compute the likelihood? The only way to use the word likelihood or probability in that context is to presuppose the potentiality of multiple universes, because the only way to compute a probability is to add up the numbers and divide, right? So you are assuming in your argument at least the potentiality of multiple universes. And how do you count them? How many multiples? Uh, it, it's senseless to talk about the likelihood of any of these initial constants unless you have some kind of a database that you're working from. So I submit that even you are agreeing with the idea of a, an ensemble of universes, either oscillating in time or multiple universes through the inflationary theory, uh, universe or some other ideas. Uh, it's true that we'll never get data from any of those universes, but uh, we'll never be able to talk to any of those hundred death row people who were shot as, as, as well. I mean, we're the ones who survived. We're the ones who are here. Uh, if functional complexity requires a designer, as you seem to be supposing, like the human eye or, or evolution or whatever. If it requires a designer, my watch is ticking, I assume there was somebody that designed it, or a team of people. Uh, if that's true, that functional complexity requires a designer, isn't the mind of God functionally complex? Is it just a bunch of random thoughts? Or is the mind of God functioning in an orderly manner? If your argument is true, then God needs a designer as well. Uh, in fact, there's an awful lot of sloppy design in the universe, I think, if you look around. I think one of the strongest evidence for the existence of a God